This episode of the Ed Surge Podcast is brought to you by the Elementary Education Program at Emporia State University. The Online Masters in Elementary Education Program at Emporia State is designed for career changers interested in becoming elementary teachers. Learn more at emporia.edu slash teachers dash college. That's emporia.edu slash teachers hyphen college. Hello and welcome to the Ed Surge Podcast where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and the managing editor of Ed Surge, an award-winning nonprofit newsroom. Yes, yes. Vintage. Just another day in a pretty boring life. I write, perform like it. You're listening to a track from the first rap album ever to go through a formal scholarly peer review. It was published in August, not on any record label, but by the University of Michigan Press. It's by a rapper who is also an assistant professor of hip-hop at the University of Virginia. His name is A.D. Carson. AdTheGreat.com So how did this peer review process work? And what did a rapper gain from this unusual hybrid of art and scholarship? I was able to connect with Dr. Carson by Zoom the other day. And what I learned convinced me that while this was a first... I don't think it'll be the last time that an album will go through peer review. In fact, Carson is pushing boundaries in a way that might make you rethink what counts as scholarship or academic work across all kinds of fields. When I caught up with him for this interview, he had, like so many of us these days, just been watching the live proceedings of the trial of Derek Chauvin, the Minneapolis police officer who killed George Floyd. That trial ended up coming up later in our conversation. But before I get to the interview part, I want to say a bit about Carson and and how he came to do this groundbreaking work. He grew up in Decatur, Illinois, and early in his career, he was an English teacher in his hometown. His creative work was kind of something he did on the side. Later, he was an artist-in-residence at a university in Illinois, and he wrote a novel called Cold. I thought Cold was going to be a novel that would sort of, that I would be trying to write a right in hip-hop, you know. I mean, it was called a multimedia novel, but it was written in prose, poetry, and lyrics. Even before he wrote that book, he recorded an album that also was called Cold. And that album, he said... I felt needed a whole lot more contextualization. I thought that the album on its own needed some really in-depth liner notes, and so that's where the novel came from. Uh, Okay, I love this. So he basically thought of his first novel as something like liner notes. That's pretty extensive liner notes. But clearly he is comfortable blurring genres and working in mixed media. And I thought that having those perspectives up against one another would do something for the experience of the reader. Um, And also maybe comment in certain ways about how stories get told, the, the ways that we tell stories and what gets communicated in the way that we tell the stories. He wound up getting a PhD from Clemson University. And while he was there, he revolutionized what a dissertation could be. Yep, his PhD dissertation was a 34-minute rap album. It was called Owning My Masters, The Rhetorics of Rhymes and Revolutions. It's in my bloodline. What I do is much deeper than a punchline. Online, Carson has described himself as a, quote, artist whose only aspiration as a high school student was to become a professional rapper. Well, now any high school student out there with a similar dream 
can listen to Carson's doctoral thesis album for free, or they can hear his peer-reviewed rap album from the University of Michigan, which is out there as a free open source work. He hopes that will inspire others to follow in his footsteps. But my first question for Dr. Carson was why he thought the academic process would be beneficial to his rap music. I mean, you know, a very practical response to your question, like why, why take an album through, you know, like this academic peer review process is that I work in this academic context as a professor of hip hop at the University of Virginia. And if I want to stay in this job, then I have to find a way to make the work that I do legible to uh, my colleagues here and, you know, across the world. And one of the easiest articulations of something like that is peer review, you know, like whether it's peer review uh, book or journal or, you know, like these ways that have existed for a really long time in academia to say that a person is contributing. Um, but if there's no precedent for it, then for me, I guess it's like, well, let's create it. And so that's the practical thing. The The other thing is that if there are other people who, I mean, our hope is that what I do is something that will be more common later. Well, my hope is that it's not nearly as difficult to figure out for the next person or the person after that person, whenever the time comes for those people to think about what their work looks like, what it sounds like, how it's evaluated, and you know what it means to their institution, to their academy, and to their career. And I think that this also, you know, like has something to do with maybe what access to academia looks like for folks, you know, even as undergraduates. So, you know, you think about, you know, think about young rappers, think about Nas, you know, as he's writing Illmatic. Um, and, you know, like way before there's um, a Nasir Jones fellowship at um, at Harvard. Nas is a young dude who's writing this album that's going to change the world. And so my thinking is if Nas decided rather than wanting to be a a famous rapper signed to a record label, he wanted to be someone who's going to do that kind of work at a university. He wants to go to Harvard and, you know, um, engage in his art and scholarship there. Then perhaps Illmatic is the kind of thing that folks at Harvard see and say, yeah, we definitely need him here studying with us. Well, I know that that wasn't the reality when that album came out, but I think that we could see something like that now. And, and so you feel like the process did pay off? I felt like it paid off. I, I mean, also, I, I should say that I learned a lot from the, pro the process because I'd never really gone through that process, especially not with my music. You know, it's a, uh, it, it is, I don't know. I mean, like, artists can be really sensitive about the stuff we make, you know? And, um, to have some people, you know, I was skeptical. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, I don't think that anybody at any university press is going to be able to really, like, what do these university people have to tell me about hip hop for real? Um, and that's not to assume that they don't know anything about hip hop, but about the making of it, about the sequencing of an album, about, you know, like, you know, any of these things that I feel are, 
are my domain. And I also have people that I go to for those things. And I've already been in contact with those people. And so as these practical questions came up or these practical concerns came up, I did. I felt really um, I felt glad that they were that they did come up, but I also felt heard. I felt that the music was heard. I felt that the message was heard and I felt that the reviewers were very responsive to the project as it was rather than trying to think about uh, all of the things the project wasn't even attempting to be, which I think can happen. And I think that that was also a fear that I had is that somebody would try to make my project into the thing that they envision it being rather than the thing that I want it to be. So what are the obstacles keeping other scholars from producing this kind of cutting edge scholarship? We'll get into that right after the break. Do you know someone interested in becoming an elementary teacher? Emporia State University's 33-hour elementary education master's program allows individuals to do just that, regardless of their background of study. The coursework is available online, and the clinical classroom experience can be completed at a placement near you, allowing you to earn a master's degree without changing locations. In as little as two years, Emporia students will not only have a master's degree, but they'll also be eligible for an elementary education teaching license depending on their home state's requirements. Send your paras, stay-at-home parents, subs, and anyone else who might be interested to emporia.edu slash teachers college to learn more. That address once more is emporia.edu slash teachers college. Now back to the episode. Now you, you mentioned opening up a possibility for others so that you're not the, the only peer-reviewed hip-hop album, but but one of many or something. Yeah. Do you what do you think are the obstacles though to to that, you know, happening? Yeah. I mean, I think some of these are just, you know, practical like infrastructure things, you know, well, again, who are going to be the reviewers and uh what does that process look like? How helpful will it be? I know that mine I mean, mine is the only one that I've gone through, but it's not the only process that exists. Um what are the chances that a person submits their work and gets people who are willing to listen or who hear what they're wanting to convey and even understanding of that? Um, I think also production. What does what does the cost, um, you know, like in what is the cost and who is going to be responsible for it? So will the expectation be that a rapper who is going to submit a project like this for peer review through a university press, uh, our university press is going to introduce budgets for production of these kinds of projects. And um, will that, like the thing that seems like it's providing access to different ways of doing things become a barrier because of the cost of doing that kind of work? Uh, that That's a real question for other, for other artists, you know, who've asked me, well, did, did the press pay for the album? Did they pay for um, studio time? Did they pay for recording? Did they pay uh, producers? Did they pay uh, engineers? And the answer to those questions are no. No, that was me. That's stuff that I was already doing and have been doing. And so that's, um, you know, like that, that's something that needs to be discussed as we, as we move forward as well. What does it cost and who's paying that cost? Yeah, in other words... It, it, it seems like you're advocating for a, a world where that is, if they're going to 
produce something like that, they need to be able to front the costs or somehow support those costs. Yeah, it's and, and I think that the the question is just about support more than it is necessarily about um, about say like I mean something like paying an artist, but really how do we support the work being made at the quality that it uh, that it needs to be made? And there are these assumptions about this kind of work that don't really take into consideration what support looks like, uh, whether it is financial or all of the other ways that support might exist. What do you, how do you measure success for this? Right. Cause that's the other thing It's such an interesting hybrid. A lot of times an, a peer reviewed academic work is not, it's usually not measured by how many download, you know, hits. It's not a hit if it's platinum of downloads. In fact, it's often very tiny mm-hmm. and yet it can still have an impact through citation and, and that, yeah. And yet for obviously for popular music, um, you know, people talk about it as as far as as numbers. Right. And yeah. and as many listeners as you can get. So what do you see as success for this? I mean, I think being here and it being it existing in the in the way that I want it to exist, you know, on a very basic level of success is that I didn't have to compromise what I do and who I am in order to make this work exist the way that it does. Uh, and where it does. So that, you know, on a basic level. But of course, I want lots of people to listen to it. I want it to be made available. Um, I am glad that it is, uh, that it's an open access project so that young people, particularly people in like, you know, like in public schools will be able to to get it, download it, stream it free and have access to all of the stuff that, that goes along with it. I think that that's really important for me. Um and then also just kind of getting us to think about what what an academic contribution looks like and sounds like. I think that that's also part of the part of the work is to make sure that folks understand that you know that that rappers, that artists, you know, like this cultural work has been contributing for a really long time to our academic conversations, our academic discourse, and that this is in that tradition. It's not a new thing. It's really moving an old thing into a context to be understood alongside um, all of the the things that are considered to to hold this kind of weight in, you know, in these kinds of conversations. This is not the first time an academic has been involved in a rap album. In fact, the closest precedent that I can remember ended up sparking a heated controversy. It was back in 2001 when Cornell West recorded a hip-hop album as a side project. It was called Sketches of My Culture, and it was an experiment in cultural commentary set to music. West at one point called it danceable education. At the time, West was a professor of African-American studies at Harvard. And soon after that album was released, the president of Harvard at the time, Lawrence Summers, criticized the album as a, quote, embarrassment to the university. Well, that sparked a big pushback in many academic circles against Summers and a public feud between Summers and West. In the end, Cornell West quit Harvard to take a job as a professor at Princeton. And many listeners will remember this was big national news 20 years ago. With members of the general public arguing about whether or not hip-hop should be something a scholar should be involved in. I wondered if Carson worried about his own album sparking any similar pushback. No, I mean, I, you know, I think that those, you know, those, those people don't live in my head, you know, that's not, 
That's not something, I mean, you know, because there's, I think that there are always going to be people who have this idea about what black music is and what it isn't. Um, and a lot of those people who have those ideas have very little engagement with black music other than, you know, it being something that entertains them. Um, and so, you know, me going out and trying to make the case for the legitimacy of the work that I do to people who aren't trying to hear me anyhow is not really where I should focus my energy and my, um, you know, my thinking. My, my energy is focused on people who are really interested in what, what this conversation looks like moving forward and really interested in engaging with the music and how it might contribute to, you know, these other conversations that have been going on and might fold in some of the conversations about places like my hometown of Decatur or places like Charlottesville, not the university, but the town here, you know, and, and, um, and, and all of the places that seem to be excluded from uh, our discourse about um, and inside of our universities about how we, you know, how we live together and how we think together and how we work together. Um, and I mean, I think that this also seeds a little bit of like what is presumed to be authority within the academic realm to people who are making music, people who are making poetry, people who are making art, people who are in communities, uh, you know, like hitting the stages, doing the kind of work that, you know, like I said, that, that I was doing before I decided to, you know, to go into an academic, um, an academic program or an academic job. Help folks. Uh, I'm curious. I, I want to play a clip, like I said, if you're with your permission to include it in the podcast. So could you pick a moment that you think if someone only heard, uh, you know, a couple minutes of this or some some you know, clip of it that they would get the, a flavor for it or come away with something important? And, and then could you set that up if you recommend something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, you know, a track like Ampersand, um, is really, I mean, and I think that Ampersand is something that the, the, the track is named after the, the symbol, you know, that is a combination of the E and T, you know, that um, yeah. at one point used to be a part of the, the alphabet, you know, like um, and per se and. Um, and so that Mondegreen turns into, you know, what we understand as the Ampersand. And I thought that that's like, it's kind of a cool thing historically the way that the way that we understand it the way that it's named and i think conceptually the idea that um and can be a way that we're in the world rather than either or and i'm thinking about that with regard to the past and the present or about where i am and where i'm from or where I'm at and where I'm going. And I think that we might be able to hold multiple things at once rather than always challenging ourselves to be one or the other. Where I'm from, the celebrations are devastating. Change gonna come, but it feels like forever waiting for that diamond nickel to make a dollar. A lot of it never makes sense. Being easy to be an evil, the king never leaves prints. So the song is attempting to do that work to articulate well you know it starts off where i'm from uh and it and it kind of describes the the past and then you know like it goes into where i'm at and it attempts to describe the present 
Uh, I did a remix over the summer with uh, with Mickey Fax, and you know the verse that I wrote on there, or at least one of the verses that I wrote on there, is uh, is where I'm, uh, you know, where I'm going. I mean, I guess just like in the in in the creation of that, I'm wanting I'm wanting people to get an idea of how like how we tell history and how we sort of are created by the stories that we tell ourselves about who we were and who we are and who we want to be. Um, but then I think that there are some 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 other things that that are that are in there like sort of not not just the narrative matters but just kind of the ways that we play with language and um and kind of think about um you know how we are how we are in the world you know like the 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 ways you know like these kind of signifying things that i just think are 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 pretty cool based on what we've talked about so far is there any other thoughts you want to 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 get in here that i haven't asked about um well I mean, I think that I was going to say like another another piece of the album, you know, because it, you know, as as I was just like talking about watching this watching this trial on on television and like a piece like um, um, just in case that, you know, it's really difficult as a piece to write and to perform. And I imagine for, you know, the folks in my life to hear it, you know, like to, to hear me deliver it if I die. In police custody, please ask questions because though I sometimes speak out of turn and ask why more often than some folks care to entertain, I don't see me leaving an exchange with an officer so depressed and disconcerted that it would make me take me away from you. If you're told I resisted, please ask for evidence because you and I know, I know they're armed with everything from pepper spray to tasers and taking that into consideration anything that would make me move suddenly or do anything to escalate their use of force to my own final destination in that moment is less likely than what you'll find to be true if they tell you how bad I was before then, please remain vigilant because none of my past behavior should justify me leaving an interaction with law enforcement with the ultimate penalty enacted without the due process afforded others in courts of law and the way that something like that the the way that that piece like its relevance is not really connected to a particular time period it feels like we're talking about right now what's on television right now what's going on in the world right now but i think that there's not a moment that you could go back in the history of this country where a piece like that isn't relevant and so while it's a part of this this list this playlist for this uh, for i used to love to dream it's also a reality for people uh, myself included, you know, while I was living in South Carolina, while I lived in Illinois, and before I was born, and for, you know, so many other people. And it's something that I think that will also extend into the future. Unfortunately, you know, it kind of has this um, this evergreen relevance because of the reality that we understand to be the relationship of uh, particularly police you know, and the kind of authority that they attempt to exert over communities and uh, particular people in communities. The album, of course, is not about police or policing, but that presence is kind of always there, um, you know, like near the fore, because I think that that it kind of speaks to a reality for me, you know, trying to describe growing up in a place like Decatur, Illinois, but also in my life as a professor here in Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and the relationship changes, of course, uh, but this is like the, the change in that relationship is actually what makes it easier to record that piece. 
Um, it's the the ability uh, with, you know, like with the platform or with some assumptions about who I am or what I do that will allow that piece to resonate now in ways that it might not have when it was anonymous to moved away from my own name. Do you perform, do you perform these works on stage somewhere? Do you? I, I will uh, as soon as I have the, uh, the, the opportunity because the album came out in the midst of the uh, pandemic. Um, I have not yeah. had an opportunity to perform it yet, but I'm looking forward to the opportunity to do so. Thank you so much for, for being part of our podcast. I really appreciate it. Word, of course. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. It's an exciting time for the Ed Surge Podcast. And if you bear with me, I have a couple quick announcements. For one, we found out that an episode of our Pandemic Campus Diaries podcast series won an award. We got a silver medal for podcasts in our region from the American Society of Business Publication Editors. As regular listeners know, that podcast series followed a group of students and professors all throughout the fall semester as they struggled to keep their studies going, despite the pandemic. We put a lot of time and effort into that series, so yeah, it feels good to get that award. And last week, we kicked off our latest narrative podcast series. This one's called Bootstraps, and it's about equity in education. If you missed the kickoff episode, it ran last week on this feed, so check that out. And we'll have the next installment in a few weeks, so stay tuned. As we grow the show, we appreciate help from listeners like you. The best way to support us is by sharing the Ed Surge podcast with someone you think would like it, maybe on social media. There are tons of podcasts out there, as you know, and it's hard to break through, so word of mouth really makes that happen. Thanks to everyone who's done that in the past and who've left us a rating or review. And we have a relatively new way to keep up with this podcast. Subscribe to our new Ed Surge podcast newsletter. You'll get a notice in your inbox every time we put out a new episode. And it comes with things like links to related articles and resources, of course. This week, it has links to music and scholarship by our guest, A.D. Carson. Just go to edsurge.com and click on newsletters at the top right. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young. And you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Young. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening.